0: to the Amateur Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan O'Connor, and today I'm talking to Monica Sarkar. Monica works in Toronto's tech industry, and in her spare time, she cooks restaurant-quality meals that she shares on her Instagram account, Sarkar. You can check that out if you don't believe me. So today she's going to talk to us about how she learned to cook. Hi, Monica.
1: Hi, Ryan. How are you?
0: I'm great, thanks. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here. And um, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I kind of know how to cook, but I'm not the best cook in the world. I need to rely on recipes most of the time and fallbacks like pasta. So uh, I'm looking forward to learning how to improve my restaurant skills.
1: (laughs) The, The restaurant style food description, that's all you. Um, and, uh, you know what, I still use recipes and pasta as well, so we're in the same boat.
0: Awesome. Cool. So I guess just to get us started, I wanted to know a little bit about how you got into learning how to cook. When was the, when did you start learning how to cook?
1: So I started learning how to cook when I was, uh, 10 years old. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) My brother and I went to go live with our dad full time and we quickly discovered that dad, A, didn't really know how to cook, and B hated cooking.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and then he, he landed with like two tweens, teenagers, um, who obviously needed to be fed. So I took it upon myself to uh, feed the boys.
0: Uh huh. And what were some of the first things that you started cooking?
1: Because we were first generation Canadians, we only had like Indian food in the house, and we'd only eat. That and I'd never really had Western food um, until I was in my teenage years. Huh. So, but watching, and we also didn't really have cable. Dad pretended we didn't have cable, but we found out much later on that we did have cable, and he always just disconnected it um, <laughs> so that we we would focus on school.
0: That's smart parenting. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, until we figured it out, and we'd get up in the middle of the night and turn it on. Um, <laughs> But uh, we didn't have cables, so I didn't get to like see a lot of Western programming either to see what Western food was like. But, but I was exposed to some of it, so I uh, I was very curious about pasta. I'd never had pasta at that point, and, like at ten years old. Never having pasta is kind of weird. Uh, so my dad gave me a. a uh, my dad worked for a printing press, okay. and at the. Yeah, um, and at the printing press, they actually printed a bunch of cookbooks around that time. Huh. Um, I think it was called Looney Spoons, and it was supposed to be um, like healthier versions of Western food.
0: That's so uh, funny. My <laughs> first cookbook was Looney Spoons. It's one my mom gave to me when I went to university. That's when I first started cooking. So oh I my used God, a no bunch way. of the, Yeah, I used a bunch of those Looney Spoons recipes as my very first uh, meals.
1: That's wild. That's hilarious, so we are yeah. in the same boat. Do <laughs> yeah. you do you know uh, like do you know the names of some of your first recipes from that book?
0: Yeah, my favorite one was Thai. It you'll like it. It's it was a Thai, <laughs> I think a Thai rice dish, if I remember correctly.
1: So the first couple of dishes um, that I ever made were, were out of that cookbook as well. Oh, wow. And, uh, I, uh, I remember one dish called Gringo Star. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like a Mexican inspired rice dish <laughs> where you used like a jar of salsa into like rice um, and just cook that up. And then I uh, I found a pasta recipe, which I was very excited about. Um, and I was also excited as a kid because the recipe called for Scooby Doo noodles. Oh, yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> <I like> that. <laughs>
1: which is like really fat um, fusilli. So huh. they they look like giant twirls like, or almost like screws. Interesting. But they're just really big. Yeah. And I actually found those in the store. So, and it was like a really chunky tomato pasta sauce, like loaded with vegetables. I think I threw stuff like carrots in because uh-huh. I think the recipe called for that. But those were the first kind of dishes I started to make out of the Looney Spoons cookbook.
0: Cool. Um so what about now? What's your what would you say is your favorite meal to cook at the moment? What's your go-to if you're having a dinner party or want to impress uh, a new neighbor or something <laughs> like that?
1: If it's a dinner party, there's two dishes. Okay. Um so my partner is Irish. Right. And his group of friends when they come over, the the typical spread that I put out is a big old shepherd's pie oh yeah
0: nice i love shepherd's
1: <laughs> uh, pie okay excellent and i I've, I've done certain things to mine just to make it a little bit different uh, so i add stuff like fish sauce and tomato cool fish sauce and wow yeah just for that extra yeah. depth of umami yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. um and saltiness oh. um so as ha- well as like red wine and tomato paste,
0: yeah. Interesting. So where where did you get those add on add ons? How how did you figure that out? That fish sauce would would add a little bit of extra flavor, or even uh, the other ones you mentioned, red wine and uh,
1: tomato paste. Tomato
0: paste, yeah. How did you, how did yeah. you figure that out?
1: So these are recent uh, yeah. Reve- uh, these are recent revelations for me. Yeah. Where in the last I think it was about a year and a half ago. I started to watch and read more about cooking. So, in terms of like cooking, starting at the age of 10 until about my early 20s, it was all based on trial and experimenting and, you know, whatever recipes I could get my hands on in terms of either the cookbooks my dad gave me or, Mm -hmm. you know, the the beginnings of online recipes. Uh, Since the internet still wasn't as robust as it is today when it came to online recipes, I used a lot of. Allrecipes.com yeah, and I remember uh, that. D- food wishes. Have you ever used food nope, wishes? No. Nope. Oh my gosh, that's where I started to like really get much better. Is there's an amazing chef? His name is Chef John,
0: uh-huh.
1: and he posts the best. Just it was my introduction to food videos,
0: huh.
1: um, like like YouTube recipe style videos, huh. and he's just excellent. And he writes everything out on his blog he I think he uses like a very simple WordPress blog and uh he had all his videos on there as well um but I didn't have cable until I started working Uh full-time at 21 (laughs) and it was only then that I became aware of like cooking shows Uh and such crazy things so it was at that point where I started to see what people were doing in cooking shows and just like what chefs would recommend of doing and then chefs would never be using recipes and I thought that was wild. Yeah. Because at that point I'd only ever used recipes and followed them to the T and sometimes they failed terribly (laughs) no matter how stringent I was with the recipe. Um, But it was when I began to watch these cooking shows or then most recently as I was mentioning I started watching a lot of what's on Netflix like Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat by Samin Nosrat. Hmm. It's four-episode series on Netflix, and it's just – it breaks down the elements of cooking into just the four basic elements, hmm. salt, fat, acid, and heat. And, and what is salt? And salt isn't just, you know, what we know of salt, like table salt yes. or sea salt or kosher mm-hmm. salt, but the fact that you can add ingredients like fish sauce mm-hmm. or anchovies or – just different different things that have a salty quality to them, like cheese mm-hmm. to a dish, and that can add that element of salt. It doesn't need to be a teaspoon of salt hmm. or a pinch of salt. It can be these other ingredients that not only add their flavor, but they also add that that basic element that a dish needs to be balanced. Right. So learning <laughs> that there's these four elements. Um, so I watched the show religiously.
0: Uh-huh.
1: I watched every single episode probably three times at this point. Oh, wow. And uh, then I bought her book. And, it, and I thought I was a very experienced cook at this point. Um, and then I bought her book last year. And it just opened a whole new world to me of uh, how to experiment with my cooking and how to rely on recipes much less huh. and just trust my instincts as uh-huh. well as to start really tasting my food she really forces that on you (laughs) and it's not something that recipe books or recipes or cookbooks really talk about of actually tasting your food as you go and i didn't learn about that Uh until just a few years ago
0: Uh recipe books are very exact with their measurements right you put in x amount of olive oil x amount of salt everything right Mm -hmm. um So I guess um, thinking from my perspective, how can I get away from relying so much on recipes? I I mean, I'll definitely give that series a watch, but how would you recommend I move away from using a recipe anytime I need to cook to relying on instinct and tasting?
1: Um, So I would first identify a couple of dishes that you really want to get good at making. Right. Or dishes that you have either never made before, but you want to be able to make really well. Or dishes that you have made a few times before, but you always follow the recipe. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get to really know those dishes. So what kind of flavors are you really looking for? So for example, when our Irish friends come over, I make shepherd's pie and I do a big like, cheese board beforehand. Mm-hmm. When other friends are coming over, most people these days ask me to make them fresh pasta. Um, because that's something that I've been doing for, I want to say I've been making fresh pasta for about 10 years now. Oh wow. Um, and I've only recently started to fully understand what it takes to make really good fresh pasta. And again, that's from watching a lot of videos, but also following people who I think are experts in it. Okay. So there's, um, a shop here in Toronto called Familia Baldazzare, and they do, wholesale pasta making um, but you can also buy it from their shops and right now they have retail uh, open and they're also doing um, you can buy their pasta through another delivery company so Hmm. pasta was something I really wanted to get good at Mm -hmm. and I knew what I wanted my pasta to be like like I wanted it to have a bit of a bite to it I wanted it to be chewy I didn't want it to melt Mm -hmm. so what I started to do was I, I started to just learn as much as I could about pasta making. So I would follow Familia about on Instagram, then mm-hmm. just soak up anything they mentioned in terms of technique. Cause they're mm-hmm. not like a, a cooking school or anything like that, but right. they would post these Instagram live videos and they would be like two hours long on a Sunday. And I would huh. sit and just watch this full Instagram live video for two hours. Wow. Um, and then I started buying pasta, making, um, cookbooks from other Instagram people that I, uh, really admired. So yep. there was another pasta account that does colorful pasta. And I was like, ah, like not only do I want to make like really good tasting pasta, but I want to make it beautiful. Mm. So realized that she had a cookbook, bought that cookbook and started to read. And that's when I realized all the little mistakes I was making and the mistakes I was making was following these hard, rigid recipes. Right. Um, and they started talking about look and feel. So when you're making your pasta dough, like um, just trusting, like how it feels between your hands. And but it, for me, it was a lot of trial and error. Uh-huh. But I got much better at making pasta. And now I can crank out fresh pasta in less than an hour. And it doesn't it doesn't feel like a big undertaking because I spent the time on right. figuring out what I wanted it to be like. And there was loads of flops where like I broke my pasta machine one day. And wow. it was like it was a really big expensive gift from my partner. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> but like we figured it out. I fixed it. But uh the loads of flops where when you like throw your pasta into the water expecting these beautiful noodles and they just disintegrate. Um so it was a lot of trial and error, but for yeah. me it was just like about being dedicated to those to that one dish. When yeah. it came to shepherd's pie um, and learning to make shepherd's pie really well because I didn't eat meat growing up Hmm. and I didn't learn how to cook meat until my early 20s and most recently because my partner is Irish I've had to learn how to cook meat well (laughs) (laughs) um, and properly uh, because it's all he eats really um (sighs) (laughs) I I started we started to buy the dishes that I knew he'd want to eat uh, or what I wanted to get good at. So Uh we would go out and I would actually start ordering these dishes at restaurants or buying them at the grocery store and trying them at home. And if I found one that was really good, I would actually sit there and try to figure out what made it good. Hmm. Um, What were the specific flavor components? Hmm. So is there a dish that you love? to make or you love to eat that you would like to be able to make or get good at making
0: spaghetti and meatballs and nice. it's what uh what i ask my wife mariana to cook on my birthday because uh <laughs> she does a great job and I, and I just love it
1: the one thing that i've always done is i'll search for something that's highly reviewed or recommended okay i only yeah, yeah i only go with recipes that are what I call peer-reviewed. <laughs> <laughs> for meatballs, for example, some people actually do like really dense meatballs, mm-hmm. um, which I don't. Mm-hmm. I, I prefer meatball that's kind of fluffy with still a little bit of bite to it. And yeah. if there's a recipe that says this is going to be a fluffy meatball with a bit of chew, I'm like, okay, that's the meatball for me. I don't want it to be too dense. Yeah. Um, I don't want it to be something that tastes like it was defrosted and then Uh reheated uh five times. So then if that recipe looks well-reviewed or it's by a chef that I admire, that's the recipe that I'll go with. So I'll always search for something before I make it for the first time and just see, you know, what are the best recipes out there? And I'll actually cross-reference a bunch of recipes. So... If I wanted to make meatballs, for example, which is one of the things that I wanted to accomplish a few years back, like learn how to make a good spaghetti and meatballs, because that's also one of my most favorite dishes. I think it stems from Arthur. They ate a lot of spaghetti and meatballs in Arthur.
0: Oh, really? I never got into that show, but uh, uh, that's (laughs) funny.
1: (laughs) It was the one show that we had without cable. So.
0: <laughs> okay. makes sense. Yeah.
1: Cause it was on TBO.
0: Oh, right. Right. TV. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: um, so yeah. So then I started looking at all these recipes and a lot of the recipes I realized that I was cross-referencing, um, mentioned you're not supposed to work the meat too much. You're not right. supposed to squish it in your hands mm. and blend well. A lot of recipe books say blend well, mm-hmm. but it's, but other, like the expert recipes actually say combine, like mix until combined. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't mix it up too much. Don't squish it. Don't knead it. Hmm. Um, a lot of other recipes will call for either adding breadcrumbs for that moisture. Yep. But then other recipes that I've seen, they actually talk about adding in very finely minced vegetables. Huh. And so I tried both. Yeah. I tried the breadcrumbs. It was more of a dense meatball. Then huh. I tried finely minced um, vegetables, like finely minced celery and peppers and onions, huh. um, in a food processor, and squeezing out as much of the water as I could, and then throwing it into the to the meat. Yeah, lightly mixing it up, creating meatballs, and that gave me the fluffy texture. With a bit of bite that I was looking for, so cross referencing highly reviewed recipes just to see
0: the the similarities, commonalities between them
1: not just the ingredients but also technique.
0: Yeah, I think one of the challenges a lot of people face is the intimidation factor and being afraid to fail in the kitchen because, um, maybe they're cooking for their husband or their wife and they're thinking, Well, if I make a really bad meal, then we still have to sit down and eat it. And it's going to be embarrassing because we're going to be eating something not so delicious. So I, I wonder if you have a just a, a method of getting over that fear of, of failure. You know,
1: someone who's had so many failed recipes, um, I totally get it. And it still happens to me to this day. And it's been 20 years of cooking. <laughs> <laughs> um But one of the things is not just picking a recipe because it's a dish that you want to make, but picking a recipe and making sure that you read through all the steps before you go out and buy the ingredients and before you start cooking. Because you need to be able to feel confident in all the steps and what the steps are calling for. Make sure you read through the whole recipe, that you're confident about what the recipe is asking you to do. If a step comes up that you are not sure what that means i didn't know what sear meant for the longest time Uh um and now that youtube is a thing yeah the first thing i would do is just google or youtube it being like what is a sear and how Uh can you get a sear for me it was watching master chef in my early 20s where i saw what they were doing with meat and i was like oh (laughs) like you don't boil meat like you (laughs) like you sear it on both sides and then you can throw it into the oven like Uh You know, or you don't you don't throw a whole like turkey into the oven uncovered because you're going to burn the, the breasts before the legs are cooked. You cover it in tin foil, And it was just like all these things, all these tips and tricks that I learned by watching other people um, that gave me that confidence. Being being like, oh, those are the little things. Huh. So figuring out, making sure you fully yeah. understand the recipe. If there's <laughs> anything that comes up that you don't understand, look it up yeah. or call a friend. Like, it's like, uh-huh. who wants to be a millionaire? Use that lifeline. <laughs> huh. So
0: it's about building confidence before you uh, you start cooking. And I think that's a great trick. And that's that's great advice. I want to talk about some of the things that you feel every cook should have in their kitchen, whether it's tools uh, or ingredients. What are some things beyond, you know, I know we, I need a pan and, or a pot or whatever I'm using to cook. Okay. Is there anything else that you feel we always we should have in our kitchens
1: one of the first things that i would recommend um and i think this also helps with the intimidation factor of screwing up or the fear of screwing up mm-hmm. is making sure you have a lot of small medium to large bowls especially hmm. the smaller ones um so oh, luckily last year i uh <laughs> i decided to get up and quit my job um Congratulations. I needed a break. <laughs> thank you <laughs> Uh, I was just burnt out and uh-huh. uh, I needed to quit my job. And my partner knew that I always had this dream of of going to culinary school. Uh-huh. Um, and it wasn't because he thinks I'm a bad cook or anything like that. <laughs> uh, he just knew that I, I always wanted to see what it was like um, and to learn more. And he enrolled me in culinary arts at George mm. Brown. And the very first thing that you learn. In Culinary Arts, one at George Brown is the importance of mise en place, mm-hmm. which is getting all your ingredients ready
0: mm-hmm. and in
1: order in front of you, in front of your chopping board. And to do that, you need small containers, small, medium yeah. to large containers. So, you know, you're required to bring 12 mini bowls uh, that are about three to four ounces in size yeah. to, to class. Um, and huh. then all the other bowls are provided for you, which are anywhere from like the size of like a cereal bowl to a big massive steel mixing bowl. Uh Um, and those are the first things that you would bust out in class and you would arrange them according to each ingredient on the recipe or what chef would tell you. And you would prep your ingredients and you were not allowed to even turn on the heat to heat your pan or your pot or to start boiling water until all your mise en place was ready. And, so that, that is, I think, a big thing for even a home cook to have is make sure you have all those little bowls. Even even just for your salt. Like I know that seems yeah. maybe that seems stupid to have mm-hmm. to measure out salt and put it into a bowl. But one thing that our chef explained to us about having your mise en place, and say you're cooking a dinner party, but your friends come over to like watch you cook yeah. or to help you cook, you can still this was Chef's example. You can stop and drink your wine and hang out with your friends and then turn back to your your pan of whatever you're cooking and be like, oh, shoot, did I remember to add this in? I can't remember. But if your mise en place is ready, you can see everything that needs to go into the dish. And if there's a bowl that's sitting there with that one ingredient still in it, okay, you forgot to add the garlic. Um, Or if there's too much salt left into that bowl, oh, maybe you didn't season enough. For sure, make sure to test or taste your dish dish first. Yeah. Um. But having having all your ingredients ready ahead of time and in front of you in mini bowls, big bowls, large bowls, whatever you can, um, but separately, I think a is very important to make sure your dish that you feel confident and prepared, um, and therefore that'll that'll help the intimidation factor. But it also is just a really useful tool as a home cook. One other technique that I was going to share okay. in terms of like when you're experimenting with a dish and say it's like a saucy dish, like a stew yeah. or, a, or a pasta sauce, or yeah. even if you're making one of the mother sauces, which is like your bechamel, your brown right. sauce, whatever. Um, one thing that I've learned is instead of adding ingredients straight into the dish, so say you've made the sauce and you're like, oh, there's still something missing and you can't figure out what it is is it salt? Is it acid? Is it fat? But you don't want to go ahead and just add a heaping tablespoon of salt into the dish. A, you should never do that. Yeah. Always just like put in pinches of salt, mix it, give it a few minutes to really mix and permeate throughout hmm. the dish, and then taste it. The other thing that you, you can do is to ladle a small amount of the sauce or the stew or whatever it is that you're making into a smaller dish and right. then add what it is that you think is missing to that small dish, mix it nicely and then taste it and if if that pinch of salt or that splash of fish sauce or uh-huh. you know that um glug of olive oil or that tablespoon of butter tastes really nice and the small huh. ramekin that you've put your yeah. sauce into then that's what you're missing and then you can feel confident about recreating that into the bigger pot huh. so removing some food from the big pot, putting it into one of those small bowls that we talked yeah, about at the yeah. beginning.
0: <laughs> it's all about the little bowls, right?
1: It's all about the little bowls. <laughs> <laughs> and then the other thing about tasting technique that I learned is um, you don't all want to be double dipping your spoon and like washing your spoon is also kind of annoying. Uh-huh. So one technique was um, taking two spoons and using one spoon to pour into another spoon. Okay. So yeah, one yeah. spoon never touches your mouth is the only one that touches, touches the dish. Uh-huh. The other spoon is what goes in your mouth, making sure you don't mix those up. Yeah. So use different right, sizes, right, right. but right. that'll also help you taste as you're cooking.
0: Wow. That's uh that's such a cool trick. I'm definitely going to try that next time. Great. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, um, how did you improve your technical skills in the kitchen? Because, you know, watching a chef on the food network, um, it's amazing how quickly they can chop an onion. Right. And and it takes me, it's something that takes me at least five to 10 times. So how did you improve the, your technical skills in the kitchen?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I will mention is I never really learned anything from shows like the food network mm-hmm. or take home chef or any mm-hmm. of that because they don't show you the grunt work. Right. Um, right. yeah, it's, it's actually really funny, but the contest type shows like Master Chef is where I learned a lot, a lot of technical stuff because they're being they're under the pressure and they have to get those right. things ready while yeah. also making their dish. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, the one thing I realized about my technical skill, and I always found chopping so tedious. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um,
1: when I was younger, working in my dad's kitchen, and then I realized a sharp, a proper sharp chef's knife hmm. makes
0: the world eh? of difference
1: yeah cuts down your time it cuts vegetables really well makes you feel more confident yeah learning how to hold a chef's knife properly though um that came from a lot of watching those shows or or watching chef john Mm -hmm. um whenever they do give you the opportunity to watch them do their prep i've noticed that the best chefs will actually show you you how they're holding their equipment
0: um okay what about the uh cooking aspect and and knowing how to get the timing just just right so that uh, you know your chicken isn't undercooked and you're not going to get salmonella but it's also not overcooked and it's just going to be rubbery um how did you learn that aspect of cooking
1: yeah um again a lot of trial and error there as well the amount of chicken that I ruined is embarrassing (laughs) as well as pork chops I used to cook a lot of pork chops because they were cheap and I was a broke
0: student I remember that yeah
1: yeah and Uh just like I'd always end up boiling them somehow and it was (laughs) awful um but yeah so the couple of things that I learned was a the importance of a uh thermometer like having a meat thermometer Mm -hmm. Um, and then the other tool that I forgot to mention, because you were like, yeah, I know pots and pans. But the one thing that I would also recommend home cooks to stay away from, and I know it's intimidating, is Teflon nonstick pans. Hmm. They are the bane of my existence. And I wish someone had told me this Why? before I, I bought so many. Because, A, they're not necessarily nonsticks. Stuff yeah, still yeah. sticks to them.
0: Yeah, but then true.
1: you're terrified of, yeah, but then you're terrified of using, you know, a good quality metal spatula or a good uh-huh. quality metal tongs, two uh-huh. things you should also have in yeah. your kitchen, pair yeah. of pair of tongs, a good couple of pairs of different types of tongs, and a good metal spatula huh. um, to like scrape something off the bottom of your pan and flip it. And you're afraid to do that um, when you have Teflon. Teflon scratches, it looks terrible, it leaches into your food. But I think it also prevents you from being able to really get good sears on food, Mm. good caramelization on food. And when you're afraid to cook on medium to high heat um, because of like the fear of burning stuff and whatever, I think Teflon just makes it so much more complicated. Hmm. So in terms of uh, the timing aspect of things, what I would do is... Getting the meat thermometer, which is huge, Mm -hmm. but I would I would start off on medium high heat or medium low heat, whatever the recipe really calls for, and I would just make sure that you know cooking slow and low is much better than cooking fast and at high heat because that's where you screw up.
0: Right. Okay.
1: Because if you're cooking low and slow, you can fix it. Yeah. But if you're cooking it high and fast, that's when disaster can strike. Um, And then also, (laughs) this is a really funny technique, but using the palm of your hand, so when it comes to meat, Uh understanding that if you lay your palm out flat facing you, there's different, you know, if you feel where um, your wrist meets your thumb bone kind of area.
0: Right, right, yeah.
1: The consistency of the pressure there is what they say, like, is what a medium, well done kind of medium, medium steak is kind of like, or even like nicely juicy chicken. So what I started to learn was to not just use my palm to figure out what is softness and what kind of softness I'm going for. But like, I tried to use that technique, but then when a piece of meat is properly cooked, actually go ahead and touch it. Poke it with your thumb or poke it with your index finger to feel how springy it is. Because obviously you don't want to cut a piece of food while it's cooking to be like, oh, is it fully cooked? But your sense of touch can tell you a lot so that helps with the aspect of timing is like say you're cooking a piece of chicken breast you flipped it on both sides so both sides are Mm -hmm. brown but you don't know if it's cooked on the inside two things that you can do give it a squish like Mm -hmm. you know like like poke it with your your finger finger. kind of yeah yes thank you that's the word poke (laughs) it with your finger obviously wash your hands before and after of course yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, But poke it and see is it too squishy? Does it feel like you just took it out of the package? Or is it getting to be closer to what your your palm feels like? And then if it still feels like it could use a little bit more time, but you're afraid of burning it on the pan, what you can do is like lower that heat right down Mm -hmm. and cover it with a lid. Or um, take if you don't have a lid that's the same size as your pan, take another frying pan that's maybe the same size and invert it over and use that. Or the other technique is put it into the oven, at, like start at a low heat, 325 degrees, and mm. put it into the oven um, and let it sit there for five to eight minutes and then check it again. As time goes on, you'll understand how to figure out that timing. When it comes to cooking other things other than meat, if you're, if you're trying to make a sofrito, right,
0: right.
1: which is just finely diced onions, celery, uh-huh. and carrots, which tend to make the base of oh, a lot of yep. uh, pasta sauces, mm-hmm. um, or that's also the base that I use for my shepherd's pie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I want to make sure that it's getting really nice and cooked down right, and caramelized, right. yeah. but I don't want it to burn on the bottom. So I just keep stirring. Huh. Um, like now I feel more confident, like letting them be, but walking away from the stove has resulted in a lot of like fire alarms going off in my time. So (laughs) I just,
0: (laughs) we've all been there. I've been there many (laughs) times too. Yeah. So I'm wondering how you learned what ingredients really go well together and what ingredients don't go well together. How did you learn that aspect of cooking?
1: Um, I think it was based off of like the tastes that I like and prefer. Mm -hmm. And then also beginning to learn, you know, what ingredients really absorb other flavors versus uh, ingredients that don't. So for example, peppers have a very distinct flavor to them. So anything that you add peppers to, there's going to be a taste of green pepper or red pepper. There's just that, that that's better like peppers, right? Flavor. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm very sparing with when I use peppers hmm. for a dish, but if I really want to add like vegetables for a dish, but I really want it to absorb the flavor of what I'm cooking, mm-hmm. I stick to stuff like zucchini,
0: hmm.
1: um, zucchini, onions, and garlic, um, onions and garlic are always the base of, of the majority of the dishes that I make because there are those aroma components, Right. but really understanding, um, the basics so what vegetables and what they taste like cooked and raw uh what vegetables absorb a lot of flavor what vegetables give off a lot a lot of flavor um in terms of other ingredients and how they pair it's again just reading a lot of recipes to understand what people put together Um, and then also just experimenting for myself Mm -hmm. there's there's a real joy in actually sitting down and cooking a dish for yourself yeah. and getting experimental just mm-hmm. for yourself, which mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize true. they can do. It doesn't need to be a romantic dinner for your partner or for your group of friends. It can be just for yourself. That's
0: true. Yeah. A lot of people just think that uh, it might not be worth the effort to make, make a full meal for yourself. But I, th- I think that's a great way to learn as well, right?
1: Yeah. And then the other thing is just feel free to Eat your ingredients, yep. e- e- eat them in their raw form, right. or well, not everything. Like don't eat raw eggs and don't eat raw flour. Yeah, of but... course. <laughs> <laughs> or like raw chicken, for yeah, example. Yeah, but uh-huh. other ingredients, like the the spices in your cupboard, yep. or your your oils and uh-huh. your bottled sauces, get a teaspoon and just start tasting everything, uh-huh. and really. Really learn what is it that you're tasting is this more fatty is this more salty is this more of an acid component yeah um, will this go nicely with that put it into a small bowl and like <laughs> mix it together and uh-huh. try it but really just start to get to know what are the ingredients in your cupboard and yeah. in your fridge yeah
0: are there any ingredients that you've incorporated into your kitchen as mainstays? Uh, beyond you know the typical garlic and and uh, that sort of thing, uh, are there any new ingredients that you found have really, have y- you've gone back to over and over again in recent dishes?
1: Yeah, recently I've been using a lot of tahini. Huh. Um, like fresh tahini in different dishes, huh. like dishes that call for maybe some peanut butter yeah. or or like even when I'm making a sauce for something. Um, I've been adding tahini. Another one is sesame oil, which is also a derivative of tahini. <laughs> it's the same thing. Yep. Like sesame sesame. Um, the good olive oil.
0: Good olive I've oil. Started yeah.
1: Started to really good olive oil, but uh-huh. then also learning the different smoke points of oils. So right. I've started to increase the types of oils and cooking fats I have in my uh, in my cupboard. So it's not just olive oil all the time because. Yeah. You can't sear at, at high heat with olive oil, right. but you can with uh, with rapeseed oil or coconut oil. Right. Um,
0: huh. Good to know. Other
1: ingredients. Yeah. I, I have a lot of different spices now. Right. Yeah.
0: Um, okay. So once we've made our food and it t- we've tasted it, it tastes great. Now we're on to the last step, which is making it look good so we can take an awesome <laughs> picture and post it to Instagram and make everyone jealous. Uh, so I guess. Um, yeah. The end of cooking is making it look nice. How do we make it look nice?
1: Oh, that's such a hard question because it depends on the dish. And my food styling skills started from just like emulating other beautiful dishes. Yeah. But mostly it's about balance. So the most beautifully balanced dishes that I look at um, is not just the placement of the food, But also like what are the small components that they've added in terms of like color. Uh So I try to not put anything into the center of my plate anymore um, unless it's pasta. But if it's a dish that has a a number of different components, so your main centerpiece, whether it's like a piece of meat or a big chunk of a vegetable that you've grilled or what have you. But then you also have um, sauce and you have a salad or you have rice. uh, What I always do first is I put the the sides on the plate first in different areas um i experiment i always keep paper towel next to me so i can wipe the plate when needed right. so if i decide the rice doesn't look good there i can just shift it i don't use any molds or anything like that because <laughs> um, i think that's i i prefer the look of rustic food in right the honesty, it's a little excessive not, right I I honestly, it's just like observing, like thinking of the plates of food that have arrived at your table when you're at a restaurant and like, why was it beautiful? Did it have like a beautiful smear of sauce on the side of the plate and then figuring out, okay, how do I do that? Turns out you take a tablespoon, you put the sauce on the plate, and then you take the spoon through the sauce around Hmm. the edge. Hmm. Um, And then just trying out different placements. And then in terms of balance of color... um, a pop of green or a pop uh-huh. of red seems to really make a, a photo beautiful. So uh-huh. having like either some fresh herbs in the house that are available, if you don't have fresh herbs, but you have like the top, like a, a, even like a broccoli leaf or yeah. like a celery leaf, um, even that can just help make, Make a beautiful photograph, obviously take it off before you eat it. Because you don't necessarily want to eat those things. But I've noticed that like a pop of green wherever you can get it, if it's like a lime wedge, mm-hmm. a celery leaf or a slice of jalapeno, um, it just adds like a nice amount of color and it mm-hmm. just pleases the eye. But again, just look at photos that you're happy with and try to emulate it.
0: Cool. Um, If
1: food styling is what you're into.
0: (laughs) Of course. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's an important part, right? Because, uh, so, so they say we eat with our eyes before we eat with our mind. And, and it's funny when we started talking, when you started describing, uh, the placement and how it looks, it actually started to make me feel hungry just now. So, um, I think presentation (laughs) goes a long way, right?
1: Yeah. And the other thing that I've recently started to do, especially when we have big groups of friends over and I'm making something like shepherd's pie, which is terrible to photograph, Mm -hmm. is I just make the full dish look nice. So I'll spend time on making sure I do a crosshatch pattern Mm. on the potatoes before I bake it. Mm -hmm. I throw cheese on top so it gets nice and crispy on top. And then I put that into the center of the table um, with maybe a couple of leaves on top or what have you and just make sure that. I don't have to plate everyone's individual plates and make them look beautiful, but I can make the actual dish itself when I put it on the plate and everyone can serve themselves yeah, look beautiful. Yeah. So if it's a pasta sauce, I'll throw it into like a beautiful bowl or uh-huh. something for everyone to serve themselves instead of leaving it in like the crusty right,
0: pot. Right. Huh.
1: So if individual plating styling is not your thing, but you still want your food to look beautiful, do family style and just make sure that, the the actual dish itself looks beautiful in its in its pot or in its pan
0: yeah yeah cool (laughs) um so thank you so much monica for coming and talking to me today i know my cooking knowledge has improved vastly and i hope my cooking skills improved as well after this so thank you so much
1: well i'm i'm happy to hear that ryan (laughs) Um, i hope that's true (laughs) and uh thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure and a real honor
0: Thanks for joining us today. Check out our website at AmateurPod.com. Comment on today's show. Tell us what you're learning, what you hope to learn, and what you thought about the show. And remember, there's a teacher in everyone you meet.